Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. G'day and welcome back to the Farms Advice podcast for another cracking episode with me, your host, Jack Creswell, where we will be talking everything agribusiness. This podcast is brought to you by Avert Your Eyes Digital, my own marketing agency that lives and breathes agriculture. Your marketing agency for agribusinesses across Australia. So if you're an agribusiness and you're looking for some extra support or actually just a full-on marketing department to help you along your journey to find your customers online, give us a call. We're bringing you the tools and know-how to convert online. Get in touch with them today. Thanks for tuning in this week. We have a cracking episode with Charlie Bloomfield from Canoundra as of a few years ago. We get into how you can go about the decision process of deciding to buy or lease a block of land. What should be included in the checklist when looking to buy or lease land and what you should be looking for within that piece of land infrastructure? Is there enough water? Is there enough water points? So Charlie talks about three different points of water that he loves and what he's based his property decisions off of late. Let's waste no more time and get into it. Thanks for coming on to the podcast today. How's everything going down your way? Yeah, good day, Jack. Uh, all's going well, mate. We've had a good start to the year with some rain and mild summer. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty lucky this year versus uh, some of the other recent years. Absolutely. It's always good when you get off to a good start, isn't it? Yeah, it makes it a bit easier. Absolutely. So, before we get into agribusiness, just tell us a bit about yourself and your background of agriculture. Yeah, sure. Um, I've been in agriculture one way or the other uh, for all of my career and um, grew up 
on uh, properties, mixed farming uh, between Warwick and Inglewood, and then my father had another place between Torwood and Mungandai. Um, we had sheep and cattle and a little bit of cropping. Uh, went to uni, did ag science, um, and I started a business called Agricultural Management Company um, when I left uni, and uh, sort of that offered management services to people who owned properties but didn't want to run them themselves and sort of the journey of that that business sort of went to different places where we probably didn't expect it to go so most of our clients were indigenous owned organizations um there was a couple of overseas companies that um owned uh owned properties here in australia but um most of them were sort of private people um based in the city uh, and then also the bigger professional service firms and did a lot of work with sort of mining companies and things like that that owned a lot of properties and um, you know, weren't necessarily managing the operations themselves. Um, so did that for um, oh, probably, I don't know, about 12 years uh, in the end. And then before going back to um, working on properties ourselves, more so than um, out of, uh, you know, a, a management service type company. Um, so yeah, we moved out to uh, out to Warren to my wife's family's place, Haddonry, and um, we're out there for a couple of years. And yeah, then we decided to look at we were, had been looking for something for our, for ourselves for for a while, but um, sort of couldn't find anything. And then um, eventually found a, a property down at Canandra, uh, which is where we we're at today. How long did it take you until you found the one property that is? Uh, we were pretty lucky. It was only the second place we looked at. So, um, we sort of, we had been looking for a while, um, you know, in terms of sort of searching on different areas we liked or, you know, trying to refine what the criteria were for us to, to buy a property that sort of suited all aspects from what I thought about the agricultural side of things and what we could do with the, with the land and the water. But then also, um, uh, my wife Eleanor works full time, so what are the opportunities for her in those areas? Is there access to, you know, airports and uh, all that sort of stuff close to where we're going to be? And can she get out when she needs to go to work and all that sort of thing? So um, it um, we we probably put more of the time into refining what we wanted from the from the property, and uh, that helped because the first place we looked at, we knew pretty well straight away that it wasn't going to work, and then. Um, the, the second place we, we found, uh, we were like, yeah, this ticks all the boxes and as long as we can get it for, for a price that we're comfortable with, um, yeah, we'll go with it. Absolutely. And how long have you been down there for now? Uh, nearly two years. Um, yeah. So, so quite, quite recent. The first year we were there was, yeah, yeah. The first year we were there was, was a bit rough. Um, but uh, we 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 learned a few yeah we learned a few lessons um, uh, sort of drought management while we were at Warren and then um, came down to Canander and uh, it um, all the all the guys that were in their sort of late seventies and and eighties in the area were saying it's the worst they've ever seen it but when you'd come in from Warren it was still it looked pretty good it looked pretty good and yeah, there was a lot more options and. Um, yeah, a bit more flexibility and f forgiveness there than uh, than a bit further out west. So, um, and then yeah, it started raining this time last year. So um, uh, last year was was good to get that under the belt. Meant meant we had we actually had a harvest, and uh, uh, you know all the all the stock are doing well. And the interesting thing of the recovery of this 
drought versus any others that I've seen is that um, the, the, the prices are there to match. So anything you can produce is worth worth good money. Absolutely. And it's mixed farming down there. You've got a bit of cropping. Yeah, it is. Uh, we've got livestock. So we run mainly uh, merinos. Uh, half of them are joined to a terminal sire. The rest of them are joined to pile merinos um, for a self-replacing clock. Um, then the rest is dual purpose cropping. So all of, all of the dry land cropping that we do uh, has a grazing element to it as well. Um, so we grow grazing canolas, grazing wheat, and then we grow barley uh, for a feedlot that we built there as well. So we've got a uh, 4,000 head uh, land feedlot there. Um, so we try and grow as much of the, the inputs for that as we can on that place. Um, we've also got some center pivots for irrigated fodder production. So much of that's will loosen. Um, and then loosen flats along the Labula River, which is sort of for the equine industry mostly. So yeah, we try to have a couple of different enterprises there, like for the for the drought. Um, you know, the loosen flats and the irrigated loosen, uh, we've got the the you know the the best prices we've ever seen, um, and that's what paid the paid the first year's interest um, because there was nothing else happening on the place. Like we had livestock, but we were feeding them, and the feedlot was going flat out. Um, but you know we didn't get a we didn't get a crop, and um, so it was the the hay during a drought. Uh, you know really kept us going. Um, and I guess when we were looking for the property to purchase, that's we wanted as much as possible the you know diversification, but some sort of certainty around our production. So this particular property has irrigation water from a river, which wasn't available during the drought, but it had some irrigation bores. Um, which we had a little bit of water from. Uh, and then along the river, it was a bit of a unique setup where you got self-watering flats where the loosen gets its feet down into the into the water table. So even during the drought, we sort of got six cuts of loosen there. So, um, you know, you go 100 metres 100 meters up the hill and you've got a failing wheat crop and then down on the on the river flats, the river's dry, but the, the loosen's still got its feet down in the, in the water table. So um, that's what sort of sold us on that on that particular property. It sounds like great to be able to create your own feed and not having to rely to buy in. Did you have to buy in at all to supplement your own feed or no? Yeah, we, we had we had to buy barley um, yeah. and we use a, a, a buffer pellet, um, which sort of helps with, you know, preventing acidosis and has a few min minerals and things like that in it. But um, yeah, the first year we didn't produce any barley. Um, but this year we've put away uh, as much as possible on farm so um, that we hopefully won't have to buy any for, for some time. Um, and, you know, but any of the hay and the, the straw that we might be using in the feedlot and everything, we can produce all that ourselves. So, um, you know, it has to be, if it's in, a, in the middle of a drought, yeah, we'll be buying, we'll be buying some barley, but, um, you know, generally we can produce what we need. Yeah, that's great. So when... For the listeners, when you're looking to buy a piece of land, what what three factors are you looking for? Infrastructure, water, or yeah, the infrastructure you can build. Um, I don't get yeah. too caught up on the infrastructure. It's actually, you know, the place that we bought had good infrastructure, but that wasn't um, wasn't on our list. Like we we built the feedlot, we've built um, workshops, we're we're sort of rebuilding yards and loading facilities and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, you know, the infrastructure is, is a factor, but it's not a deciding factor for us. For, for me, it's all about the water. Um, 
and there's probably a couple of different factors within the water uh, which sort of, you know, where, what what type of water resources have you got? You know, have you got different options? So um, this place, for example, had the river, had irrigation bores, it had stock and domestic um, bores, and it also has the groundwater um, in terms of dams. So you've got a few different options there. That, to me, is the the be-all and end-all um, of farming. If you've got options with water, um, you can either grow stuff or you can you can water livestock. Then um, the rest of it you can sort of fill in the gaps. So secondary to the water uh, was the soil and the, the sort of the, the ground natural resources. So what you can use that water on and how you might be able to use that water. So could you develop center pivot irrigation? Um, are there flood irrigation opportunities? You know, is there drip irrigation opportunities? What can you physically grow with that water? So around this property, when we drove around. On one boundary, there's a vineyard, there's a bloke who grows vegetables on the other side, there's a dairy at the back of us, um, and uh, there's all sorts of different types of enterprises around our, our place. So we thought that down, down the road, if we can secure the water now, um, down the road, if we want to diversify and, and get into other things and start growing bloody zucchinis or cucumbers or something, well, we can do that. So we've got the land, we've got the the water resources, then um, you can change tack in the future. If the, you know, if the land market doesn't keep going the way it's going at the moment, then you can do do something else if you want to. Yep. Well, the two main things we need is soil and water, um, and just making yep. sure you've got those two points ticked off when buying a property. Yeah, I think is the it- proximity to um, to markets is important as well. Um, for where we are uh, at Canandra, we've got a lot of sale markets. Um, around us for, for selling fat fat lambs, um, but also for buying store lambs. You're sort of right in the middle of where a lot of lambs are produced. So you can generally get lambs to the property or into the feedlot um, or to market pretty efficiently. Um, and then, you know, you can source grain if you need to source grain. Um, it's a pretty good spot for us to be freighting hay out as well into the equine industries down to you know, into the Hunter Valley or down into Sydney, and um, we've sent a lot up to that Darling Downs over the last couple of years to all the feedlots and, and that sort of stuff. But um, so yeah, proximity is good. And then you know, the the secondary factor to that is that um, we've got a range of airports around us, so you can fly out of Orange, you can fly out of Parks, you can fly out of Dubbo, and from those three places you can get pretty well anywhere. Um, so you know, the the work opportunities and the off farm opportunities. Um, uh, pretty good from that sort of area like some of the places we've been in the past you haven't had that yep. so you're off farm work opportunities or you know if if a partner doesn't want to work on farm um, you know they don't they don't have the same opportunities so at the moment I guess you've got all the work work from home perks where a lot of people are working from from home and still got the same you know benefits but before that was the case and potentially again in the future um, you know, you still need to be able to travel and get to offices or get to a site or something like that. And I think people can earn a lot of money um, being regionally based and, and work on some of the big projects out there. But your living costs are a lot lower. So, you know, that's sort of attractive. So, you know, my wife, Eleanor, she she wanted to be able to still travel and, um, you know, for her work and all the rest. So that played a big part in where we were going to be based. Yeah, definitely. It does when you're looking, especially when you're looking for a place with a partner, going into regional places where they can dart in and out, work on farm or yeah, farm as yeah. well. Yeah, 
and I mean, you know, it's, there's a lifestyle aspect to that. I mean, you can, you can actually go away to somewhere on the holidays and it's pretty easy if you need to, if you want to jump on a plane and go somewhere, it's, it's easy and you don't have to drive for three days or something. Yeah. Good stuff. Now, a question I wanted to ask you when I was seeking to talk about property to someone was leasing land over buying it. You said earlier, you're just leasing the block now. Even though it's not for sale, like yeah. what's your decision making on you say you have three thousand acres you want to buy, or that's for sale, or you could lease it. What would you do, mm-hmm. and how would you? Yeah, it? we sort of look at um, you know what what capital resources have we got to expand to start with. So yeah. you have a you know you effectively have a budget to work with. So then you've got to look at what you can do with that money and how much scale you can get with that money. So if we were going to try and purchase something um, near us, and and I believe when you when you're going to lease something to start with, it should be within sort of an hour and a half of, of where you're at. Otherwise, you're going to spend a lot of your time travelling and, and not actually running running business. Um, so it needs to be close by, and and then you've got a chance at also sharing some of your resources, whether that be labour or gear or you know all that sort of stuff. Um, so within that sort of area, within that radius of where we live now, the buying opportunities are pretty limited. Um, there's a lot of small properties, um, you know, a few hundred acres here and there. And then the bigger ones, um, we've got a lot of competition from some pretty big corporates around us. So, you know, Macquarie Bank are out just over the back of us, the Viridis. Um, so they, you know, they're buying properties in the order of sort of 1500 acres even. So, um, you know, that puts a lot of competition in the market for that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, and MH Premium Farms and a few others in our in our sort of zone. So when you want to go and buy those type of size properties, um, it's pretty difficult as a private operator to compete against those guys. So you either chip away buying little properties and do it over a period of time um, or you try and look for a bit of scale. And, and I'm sort of more on the more on the side of scale um i think when when we're looking to expand so when we went to put some money to work we figured that leasing we can actually get a lot more scale um through leasing than what we we can through purchasing so we added you add the enterprises together and we look at it on a um on a basis of return on capital and return on assets managed so um, we have our core assets uh, but by adding some other scale to it with a little bit of capital our return uh, is improved by doing so. So we look, we've got, um, there's another 3,200 acres um, over towards Bathurst that we're starting up uh, next week and we'll be running sheep over there and it's dual purpose cropping as well and, and a little bit of hay. Um, and when we're looking for properties, um, same sort of, same criteria, exactly the same as our home business. So. That one's got a couple of river systems um, running through it. So it's got some irrigation um, opportunities there. Um, and then I guess once you decide whether leasing or, or purchasing is, is right for you, whether you're buying something or you're leasing something, um, you've got to negotiate. So I think the, the most important thing is working out what the other party want and, and what they're thinking um, and what the outcomes are that they need. And then you can try and pitch to that outcome. So if you're buying something, um, I think a lot of people are always focused on what they want, but the only way you're ever going to convince someone to sell it is if you really give them what they want. And it's a lot of the time, yeah, it's, it's, it's got a dollar sign on it, 
but then there might, might be a number of other things. So it's what you're going to do with the property you're purchasing from them or what you're going to do with the property that you're leasing, how you're going to look after it. Like this, the family that we're leasing the property off, they want to be able to come and still enjoy the property. Um, so they'll come out, you know, there's, there's, um, they don't live on the property, but they want to still come out and enjoy it. We know them. Um, so there's a little bit of an aspect of they want to come and see that, you know, the place is operating well and all the rest, but they want to go down to the river fishing if they want to and do all that. So that was quite an important part for them to be able to enjoy the place that they, that they own. Um, and to us, you know, we don't mind that, that sort of thing is fine. Um, and, uh, you know, to, there was a range of development activities that they, that they wanted to undertake. Um, which is actually how we originally got to look at that lease. So I got a call from that, that family asking if I could go and have a look at the property and, and see what the opportunities are for them to develop it further um, and sort of increase the productive capacity of it and make better use of their water resources and all the rest. So we went and had a look and at the end of that discussion, they said, uh, you know, would you be interested in leasing it and, um, and doing the development work? So they're going to pay for the, for the capital expenditure work um, and as part of our sort of component for, for leasing, we'll, we'll do the, do the groundwork in actually sort of, you know, putting it all together and, um, getting it, getting it un, underway so that when we get to the end of the lease, the property is fully developed and they can then do what they want with it. They can either take it on and operate it again themselves or they can, they can sell it or, you know, whatever they decide to do down, down the track. And then for us at that stage, then we'll probably make that decision again. You know, if we built up enough steam, in our business to go and buy something, or do we do we continue to lease? Um, so that's sort of how we approach it all. When you're looking for lease, like what sort of time frame do you want as a minimum? Yeah, uh, this particular lease is uh, three plus three plus three. So we've got um, yeah the initial three year term, and then another three year option, and another three year option. So um, you know, it's sort of the initial three years is probably a little bit short um, in you know my thinking, but the uh, in this particular case, you know the most likely scenario is probably six years and then you know potential for nine. Um, other leases that I've been involved with in the past with um, more corporate type owners like Westchester and, and stuff like that, um, generally we're going for five or seven years, uh, particularly with farming because um, in the more western areas uh, you're not you know, if you just look at a three-year period, well, we've we just had a drought that was that was four slash five years. So um, you need to have a pretty long outlook uh, on leasing just straight dry land farming country, particularly if you're going to be west of the Newell Highway, um, yeah. so on the east coast. Um, but if you've got a mixed farming block and you're leasing, then you know you can look at slightly shorter timeframes. Yeah, it's whatever you want to sort of negotiate with the landowner, isn't it? what works for both the parties yeah and it depends on your enterprise too yeah. and what you can absorb like can you can you absorb a um a bad year in your first year with the with your existing operations and, and all that sort of stuff so and if it does turn bad is it going to be bad across all of the properties that you've got whether it's your home block plus the lease place or you know all the rest so we're hoping that there's not much uh you know distance from a to b between us and and this new block but there's a big difference in elevation. Um, it's a completely different sort of rainfall pattern, localised climate, um, it's different river systems. So what happens up there on the, the Campbells, the Fish and the Macquarie River is very different than what happens on the Bulabula. 
um, where we are and sort of that Lachlan Valley system. So um, we're hoping that, you know, if, if it's bad in one area, it's not going to be bad in the other, or it might be slightly different and you have a different growing opportunity or, um, you know, sowing rain or whatever it's going to be. Definitely. So one thing that's like hard or costly can be transferring in between places, moving around. How do you navigate mm. working on your lease blocks and then your your home block as well? Yeah, so we, we've got um, full-time staff um, at home yeah. and uh, we'll, we'll be putting on um, full-time people over at the lease block as well. So um, this is where the, the question of scale comes into it as well. I think if, if you're relying on yourself to go and start covering sort of both, you know, if you're taking on a new property and um, you've got to scale up your resources as well. So when you're going to look at, you know, buying or leasing a place, um, it, if it's going to be just too much for you and you're going to spend all your time traveling in between the two blocks and floating gear in between the properties, um, you know, I don't know if it's going to be as efficient as what people probably think it might be on, on paper. They don't factor in the time and the cost to be shifting gear around. Um, but if you can get the scale where you can have um, more full-time employment there, you're not going to be the one driving the truck in between the two properties all the time. You can actually start running your business a bit more effectively. Um, so for me, you know, like I kind of, I enjoy being on the tools, but then I won't be able to do as much of that, um, uh, going forward because if you start, you know, straining up too many fences yourself, the whole show will fall apart. So, um, yeah, you know, I'll be spending more time going between the two properties, but, um, you need to make sure that you've got really good people, uh, working in the business that, you know, like, our guys at home, they, they know exactly what's going on and they know the yearly program and they know what's expected. And, um, you know, week to week, you, you're sort of just adjusting plans. You're not really giving them, um, you know, too much uh, helicopter management, I suppose. They really know what's going on. So that's, if you can get that set up, then, you know, when those expansion opportunities come, um, you can either hire someone internally uh, or you can, you know, bring someone into the team and they can see that there's a functioning team. There's opportunities for bringing people on then that um, they might have, you know, career opportunities within your business, um, which is quite often a challenge for families. Like when you go and hire a young person, they're looking to learn and, you know, get promotions and pay upgrades and all the rest. But in a family business, quite often there's a, there's a bit of a ceiling there of how far they can go. So if you can offer those, offer those opportunities, um, you know, lease country or expansion opportunities you know, it sort of helps out in other parts of the business. Well, it opens you up to be more attractive, doesn't it? You've got a few different things on your plate. So it can be attractive yeah. for those coming in. Yeah, exactly. So how, how do you go about employing for your, for your home block or your lease blocks? Yeah, uh, it's not not that easy we've sort of been we were pretty lucky uh with our home block when we um uh when we first started out um we sort of we borrowed a couple of people from from out at warren and came down and and during the sort of the building phase at the start so that was um that was good we sort of got to steal a couple of handy people from from having rig at the start so we went down and built all the main infrastructure that we wanted to build so that was an intensive sort of three months where we just banged out all the stuff and then to do um and then when we started looking for full-time people um 
like we were just talking about, if you can start to tick off a few of the different boxes around pay, uh, their lifestyle opportunities, uh, their work opportunities for the partners, um, you know, what's the area like? Uh, is it a nice place to work? Is it a nice place to live? You know, all the rest. Then it's not it's not that hard to to get people. So um, I've noticed a big difference in say attracting talent down where we are now, Canandra, versus being further west, because not everybody wants to live in the west. Like it's got a lot of advantages, and I really love it. Um, but attracting staff can be a little bit harder because some people don't want to live, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, so we're a bit lucky in that regard that, you know, we, we're very close to all sorts of different areas, you know, like Orange, for example, the, the lifestyle opportunities around there that mm. people on the weekends, they go off and do, you know, all sorts of stuff. And um, being able to offer that is a, is a pretty big deal. And then um, all the people that we've actually ever interviewed for roles, whether they've taken the role or not, their partners are asking as many questions about the area what schools are around, um, you know, what are, the, what are the lifestyle opportunities, what are the work opportunities, you know, what are all the different towns like, what sort of, you know, stuff's around. So that's, um, it's becoming less and less about what one of the partners wants as a farm role. It's more about what sort of general package and offering you can sort of give them to, to really get them there. Because um, we can't, we still can't compete on wages versus you know the construction and engineering firms like with the, the all the big infrastructure projects that are going on in um, regional australia at the moment i think there's a there's a big push for staff going into those projects and agriculture can't offer um the same money we can offer better money than what i think a lot of people pay that pay the people um but we can offer a lot more other than just you know dollars so you know you need to factor in training you need to pay for on farming on farm training but also um courses and um schools and all that sort of stuff and make sure that you know your, your staff are getting off farm and going and learning things that they can bring home or they might they might not necessarily use it too much when they're when they're at your home block but they might use it further on in their career too so um but that's what keeps people going if they're idle hands and idle minds cause trouble and you know that's my view so you've if, if they're busy on farm but their brains aren't working, then um, you've got to try and either do that through training or give them something, you know, give them some more responsibility or something like that and get them get them moving. That's it. Keep them motivated for sure. Mm. Well, Charlie, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I got some value out of that, so the listeners will too for sure. For the podcast, question... I ask everyone is who else would you like to hear on the Farms Advice podcast and why? Um, that's a good question. Um, probably. Uh, Hadn't rig. <laughs> that's a good plug, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. You could drag someone from there. Uh, I don't know. There's a couple of guys. Um, uh, I think somebody from who sort of made the step either from corporate ag back to um, family farming or something like that. Like I think a lot of, lot of young people um, are thinking about going home and how do they make that transition? And, and there are probably some people that are, you know, at the top end of your listeners age bracket that have probably done that in the last um, five or 10 years um, and uh, stepped out of corporate roles and sort of gone into family business. That's, um, that's always interesting or, you know, succession type issues. 
Yeah, that'd be a great one. The average age for people returning back to family farms is actually 27, and it's right on the mark of what I've done as well. So there you go. Fun fact. Yeah, right. Well, fun fact. There you go. <laughs> Thanks again, Charlie. How can people contact you? Or just yeah, reach out to um, Twitter. Twitter's a good one for you. You love Twitter. Yeah, Twitter's a good one. Um, AMC Dirt um, So I use Twitter a bit or Instagram or whatever. Um, yeah, generally pretty contactable. So um, yeah, if anyone has any questions or whatever, it's pretty easy to get hold of me. Perfect. We'll, we'll chuck your handle into the show notes. That'd be great. And you can catch Charlie there. No worries. Thanks, Jack. Cheers, mate. Talk soon. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. Well, that's what the other podcasts say, so I thought I'd join in and start creating a community within Australian agribusiness. To continue the conversation, head to our Farms Advice Australia Facebook group. I'll see you there for any questions you may have. Stay tuned and talk soon. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.